0: Whatever we do, we're gonna go through it together. We may not go far,
1: but according sure. to the Ramsey's memoir, The Death of Innocence, this was a song that Jean Benet and her mother, Patsy, used to enjoy singing together. It's from the musical Gypsy, which is about a young performer's struggle to escape from her overbearing stage mother. For a long time, Patsy Ramsey was widely viewed as the prime suspect in this case. The theory that Patsy killed Jean Benet was the theory of the Boulder police and the FBI investigators who actually worked on the case. If you look at the forensic files, Patsy is the only person who can be consistently linked to multiple pieces of evidence. There's the fibers from the jacket she wore that very same night, There's the use of her own personal items. There's the handwriting evidence. There's a 911 call where she hung up on the dispatcher. There's also the fact that on December 26, Patsy was wearing the same clothes she had worn to the White's party. There's the fact that Patsy claims to be the last person to see Jean Benet alive and the first person to see that ransom note. These are some of the main reasons police began to gravitate towards Patsy as a suspect. In the public eye, Patsy attracted further suspicion for remarks she made in her initial interview with CNN.
2: America has just been hurt so deeply with the tragic things that have happened, the young woman who drove her children into the water. The
1: young woman she's referring to is Susan Smith, who murdered her two children, then falsely claimed they'd been kidnapped by a black man. Patsy's strange statements, along with footage of JonBenet from child beauty pageants, and obviously the circumstances of the crime, created widespread public outrage against Patsy Ramsey. On the other hand, there are also plenty of people who firmly believe Patsy did not kill her daughter. Even some people who believe Patsy wrote the ransom note stop short of saying she actually did the killing. The Ramseys, of course, have insisted over and over again that Patsy was a completely normal, loving mother.
2: Patsy was a wonderful mother. I couldn't imagine a better mother for my children. I love my children. I wouldn't harm them for anything in the world.
1: But under the surface, Patsy Ramsey's personality was quite complex. To quote their housekeeper, Linda Hoffman, who spent several days a week in the Ramsey home.
2: She was one of the strangest people I have ever met. I think she had multiple personalities.
1: So in this episode, we're going to look very closely at Patsy's personality, her history, her psychology, and most importantly, her relationship with Jean Benet. Previous documentaries have focused largely on so-called body language analysis, looking for subconscious confessions hidden in statements Patsy made after the crime.
0: Shaking her head no and then she changes her head to a nod up and down.
1: I'm going to avoid that as much as possible, because I think it's basically pseudoscientific nonsense. Instead, we're going to focus on basic facts and testimony to build up a context and a profile. Just who really was Patsy Ramsey? Patsy was born on December 29, 1956. She had two sisters.
2: I came from a normal American family in West Virginia, not a wealthy family, a comfortable family.
1: By all accounts, Patsy's mother, Nedra, had a powerful, assertive personality. Much like her daughter, Nedra could be very charming. But according to somebody who worked for Nedra in Atlanta.
2: I often saw Nedra absolutely explode in the office. She could be extremely abusive.
1: Another co-worker, Jane Stoby, recalled,
2: Nedra was intensely competitive.
1: Patsy's father, Don, was also reportedly capable of moments of cruelty. According to a friend of Patsy's sister,
2: When his favorite daughter, Patsy, was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, he turned to her younger sister, Pam, and said, Why couldn't it have been you?
1: Yet another employee had this to say about Patsy's family.
2: These are the meanest people I have ever met.
1: These allegations raise possible red flags about Patsy's upbringing, suggestions that it was perhaps not as normal as she claims. We know that during her youth, Patsy was extremely competitive and ambitious, competing in speech and debate contests, cheerleading, and of course, beauty pageants. Her mother and sister, Pam, were also heavily involved in the pageant circuit. In 1977, Patsy was crowned Miss West Virginia, and traveled to Atlantic City to compete on national television for the title of Miss America.
0: The winner of a $15,000 scholarship, Miss America 1977, Dorothy Benham, Miss Minnesota.
1: Patsy was eliminated in the first round. Contrary to popular belief, pageants like Miss America are not just about being physically attractive. Contestants are judged on their ability to present a complete package, a kind of flawless persona, someone cheerful, charming, and graceful in all aspects of life. Patsy Ramsey thrived in this ultra competitive environment, and it's plain to see that it profoundly influenced her personality. Far beyond the pageant world, Patsy became committed, indeed obsessed, with maintaining the image of a picture-perfect life. There are numerous examples of this. In Atlanta, she once threw a Gone with the Wind-themed party that cost $30,000. Another well-known example is when Patsy took Jean Benet's dog to the vet. When the vet found that the dog was sick, Patsy called the pet store, swapped the dog with a look-alike, and never told the family. At Christmas time, when most people just put up a tree and some decorations, Patsy had something much grander in mind. Individually decorated Christmas trees in all 10 rooms of the house and the entire home covered in elaborate decorations. She even opened up the home for public tours.
2: Hello, I'm Patsy Ramsey. Daddy's not here, but this is Jean Benet. She's four, Burke is seven, and we'd like to welcome you to our home and wish you a very Merry Christmas. Wave Jean Bonnet.
1: On these tours, guests would pass through a glittering display of Patsy's old pageant gowns and tiaras. She seemed to thrive on showing off her perfect life to other people, constructing a sort of fantasy world of glitz and glamour. Even when she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer in 1993, Patsy found a way to reframe it as a triumphant story of divine intervention.
2: God healed me from that.
1: As Linda Hoffman recalled,
2: She confided in me that John's deceased daughter from his previous marriage appeared before her to tell her that an angel was coming to cure her of cancer.
1: Patsy often recounted visions and communications from God.
2: A voice from heaven said, Patsy Ramsey, you need christmas more than anyone and it was just the holy spirit i believe talking to me
1: it appears she genuinely believed these things incorporating them into her grandiose view of her own life john ramsey has spoken multiple times about patsy's apparently unwavering positivity
2: she was very positive never heard her say a negative thing about anyone
1: after her death john recalled
2: I only saw Patsy cry twice, but other than that, I never saw her cry. Back in
0: 1998, he said, She's the most positive person I know. She never was down. She's a very, very positive person. She didn't get down much, I suppose. I can't honestly tell you when I ever remember her being down. She's just not that kind of person. However, there are indications
1: that Patsy's perpetual positivity may not have been completely genuine, that perhaps Patsy was putting up a facade, not just for friends and society at large, but also for her husband, playing the role of the perfect wife, unwilling or unable to admit weakness. According to Linda Wilcox, who worked in the home, John and Patsy were not exactly close.
2: They weren't affectionate. They didn't act like a married couple. If I had seen them anywhere else, I would have assumed they were business associates. She was like his secretary not his wife patsy's major job was to make sure nobody annoyed john
1: the fact is john was often away from home he worked long hours and traveled frequently to california as their nanny suzanne savage recalled
2: john was gone a lot it's hard to be a style a family when your dad is gone all the time i think they were used to it they accepted it patsy stayed home and read a lot
1: after the crime burke told a child psychologist that his father was always at work, and the psychologist noted signs that, quote, his father was not emotionally available to him. Before her death, Jean Benet told the family gardener,
2: I wish he was around more. Sometimes he goes away for a long time. I really miss him a lot.
1: For Patsy, this meant that during chemotherapy, she was often alone. At one point, Patsy admitted she even had a severe panic attack, which John interestingly never mentioned in his interviews.
2: It was about midway through my chemo session. I guess all of a sudden it just kind of came crashing in as to what was really happening, and I started trembling and shaking.
1: Studies show that parents who are lacking emotional fulfillment in their own relationship can concentrate their energies in an unhealthy manner on their children.
0: A familiar, if troubled, middle-class family pattern is one in which a disengaged father is preoccupied with work and neglectful of his wife and children. And an enmeshed mother is over involved with her children, her closeness to them serving as a substitute for closeness in the marriage.
2: Daddy's not here, but this is Jean Bonnet.
1: Even John Ramsey acknowledged that in the midst of her deep anxiety about the potential recurrence of her cancer, Patsy had developed an unusually intense relationship with Jean Bonnet.
2: I think Patsy, deep down, knew that she wasn't going to be around when Jean Bonnet was 16, 17, 18. So she was doing a lot to pack in mother-daughter stuff.
1: Although crucially, in 1998, John Ramsey stated that he and Patsy had never actually discussed this. It was just something he had sensed from her behavior. Could it be possible that in her frenzied drive to make up for lost time, Patsy became overly invested in her daughter? That the boundaries between her own needs and her expectations for Jean Benet began to break down? By December of 1996 there were small signs visible to people outside the family that Patsy was becoming increasingly controlling and frustrated in her relationship with Jean Benet Housekeeper Linda Hoffman noted
2: Patsy had become very moody right before Christmas of 1996 I think she had multiple personalities she'd be in a good mood and then she'd be cranky she got into arguments with Jean Benet about wearing a dress or about a friend coming over I had never seen Patsy so upset
1: an acquaintance of the family, Judith Phillips, observed,
2: The second to last time I saw her alive, Patsy was in a frenzy. She was real tense, and the kids were like real stiff and real obedient to her. They knew not to cross a certain line.
1: The Ramses would dismiss these as rumors and slander, but I don't think we can necessarily trust the Ramseys' portrayal of Jean Benet and Patsy's relationship. There are some areas where that portrayal doesn't really line up with the facts. One example that I think is representative concerns the bleaching of Jean Bonnet's hair for beauty pageants. John Ramsey has flatly denied that they ever dyed Jean Bonnet's hair. As he said in 2016,
0: it's just not something we would do.
1: But back in 2000, Patsy admitted to NBC to quote highlighting Jean Bonnet's hair. Patsy's sister confirmed this to reporter Anne Bardak. Even Jean Bonnet herself had admitted to their nanny that her hair was dyed.
2: Jean-Benet's hair was a light golden brown, which suddenly turned platinum blonde. I said to her, "So who's dyeing your hair, Jean-Benet?" She was all goshed. "You're not supposed to say anything about that," she said.
1: This comment from Jean-Benet, "You're not supposed to say anything," is a huge red flag. Even putting aside the question of whether it's safe to bleach a child's hair, the fact that Jean-Benet had clearly been instructed to keep it a secret is troubling. It raises the question, what other secrets did this child have? The most famous part of Jean Bonnet and Patsy's relationship is of course the beauty pageants. Patsy was enrolling Jean Bonnet in these pageants from the age of 4. The Ramseys claim it was just a casual weekend activity.
2: That was not a big part of Jean Bonnet's life. Patsy had a philosophy of letting her kids experience whatever they wanted to do, and Jean Bonnet wanted to try that. Little girls dress up and play dress up. You yourself had
0: entered beauty contests. Yeah. So this was, what, fun for you both? It to was have the do most
2: this? wonderful time of my life.
1: Patsy traveled all over the country with Jean Bonnet to do pageants. She spent thousands of dollars on custom-made gowns and costumes. She bleached Jean Benet's hair, enrolled her in tap dancing lessons, arranged professional photo shoots. Patsy's mother and sister also became closely involved in Jean Benet's pageant life. Despite their claims that it was just for fun, child pageants are fiercely competitive, and Jean Benet won a lot of them, accumulating an entire room full of trophies and crowns. As any stage mother will tell you, nobody could do this without an enormous amount of effort. According to Kit Andre, a private dance instructor hired by Patsy,
2: John Bonnet was performing because her mother wanted her to, not because she wanted to. The pageants were Patsy's gig. John Bonnet was her alter ego. Patsy had the money, she had the costumes, and she had the kid. She could relive her own pageant thing. Patsy didn't have a sense of proportion about how this should fit into her child's life. But I saw in the pageant video, you don't do that to a six-year-old.
1: There are further signs that Patsy occasionally lost sight of her child's welfare. One family friend told reporter Anne Bardack about an incident at a local restaurant.
2: It must have been some kind of dress-up affair or pageantry thing, because Bonet was all dressed up with makeup and a gown. She got cold and went up to her mother and said, Mommy, I'd like to wear my jacket. I'm cold. And Patsy said firmly, Not now, honey. You're still on display.
1: Detective Steve Thomas observed that Patsy had started embellishing Jean Benet's pageant applications with quotes that Thomas believes Jean Benet never actually said. In Thomas's view, the pageants were indicative of a much deeper problem.
0: My profile of Patsy led me to believe that she had gone beyond living vicariously through her daughter. Just to have Jean Benet win titles didn't seem to be enough for Patsy. It seemed to me that she sought perfection.
1: The psychological term for this is enmeshment. An enmeshed mother is one who is so invested in her child that the child becomes an extension of the mother's self, of her emotional needs and ambitions. There is a complete lack of boundaries in these relationships, and in fact, psychologists have noted that this is one of the classic dynamics underlying child abuse. It's a common misconception that abusive mothers are always angry or callous towards their children. In fact, most stage mothers are overwhelmingly close with their child, smothering them with affection, becoming overinvested in the child's achievements. For these mothers, moments of violence and anger are not sadistic or meant to create suffering. They are expressions of very powerful feelings of frustration stemming from a pathological need for the child to reflect an ideal that exists only in the mother's head. As
0: Dr. Brandt Steele has noted, In the more frequent cases of death resulting from repeated physical abuse, parents, as a rule, do not intend to kill the child, but on the contrary have an investment in a living child who must be punished to become more obedient and satisfying. Death is an unexpected, undesired, incidental result of the abuse.
1: The world of the performing arts is unfortunately littered with stories of overinvested stage mothers who have resorted to violence against their daughters. Judy Garland, Tanya Harding, Ariel Winter are all well-known child performers with allegedly violent mothers. I mentioned before the musical Gypsy. That was actually based on a true story. In 1980, the daughter, June Havoc, Had this to say about her stage mother
2: mother always felt that if she wanted something and it happened to be yours that didn't matter she took it Mm -hmm. mother did what she wanted
1: to do she had a pipeline to god and didn't think that there was any threat from that direction
0: and so it was a peculiar sort of a innocent uh murderess
2: you know a a whole different kind of killer
0: another
1: famous example is joan crawford
0: miss crawford My listeners and I are so pleased that you've invited us in to share a few moments of this Christmas Eve with you. We're very happy to have you with us, George. This is my eldest daughter, Christina. Hello, everyone. And my son, Christopher. Hi, everybody. I don't see how any home can be complete without children or how any Christmas can be really enjoyed without youngsters around. Thank you so much, George. Merry Christmas to you and to all your listeners.
2: And from all of us at our house to everyone at your house, Merry Christmas and the happiest of New Years.
1: As Joan's daughter Christina recalled in her memoir, Mommy Dearest, there were moments behind closed doors when Joan Crawford, who was otherwise quite a loving mother, became a very different person.
0: She grabbed from my throat like a mad dog, like a wild beast, with a look in her eyes that will never be erased from my memory. I staggered backward, carried by her weight and momentum. I lost my footing and fell to the floor, hitting my head on the ice chest as I went down. The choking pain of her fingers around my throat met the thudding ache of the blow to the back of my head. She banged my head on the floor, tightening her grip around my throat. I gasped for air and felt myself sinking into unconsciousness. All I could think of was that my own mother was trying to kill me."
1: Christina's brother Christopher confirmed the truth of these events. But interestingly, their two other siblings refused to believe that their mother could ever have done these things.
0: She wasn't that kind of person that my sister Christina had said. She was very caring and loving. I've never seen um, mother lose her cool. She never lost her
1: cool in front of us. It just shows how, even within a family, abuse can be hidden and covered up. And of course, these are just the more famous examples. There are countless others that don't make the headlines. Contrary to the widespread view that mothers are all innately harmless to their children, research shows that around 70% of children killed by a family member are killed by their mother. Sexual abuse by mothers is also far more common than we would like to think. In a 1996 study of more than 50 cases, it was found that
2: Women of any age, social class group, intellectual ability, type of employment, and marital status can sexually abuse children.
1: Another common misconception is that murder by mothers occurs only in families with a long-documented history of child abuse.
2: In these kinds of cases, Virtually all of them, I suspect, where there is child abuse in a family, there's a long history. There's a long history of problems that is well known to the schools, to the police, to the neighbors. That's not the case in our family.
1: As noted in a study of 265 cases of mothers who killed their child.
2: The offenders often lacked a criminal history. Many of these mothers lacked an abuse history with the victim prior to the filicide. For the six-year and older age group, offenders were primarily from middle or upper socioeconomic classes. Only a very small percentage was of lower socioeconomic class. The parenting style of some mothers was described as overly attached or enmeshed with the victim.
1: Studies have also reported perpetrators to be, quote, pillars in their communities, such as businesswomen or civic leaders. Given what we know about Jean Benet and Patsy's enmeshed relationship, It's unfortunately not hard to imagine that abuse may have been taking place in the Ramsey home, behind closed doors, hidden from the public, from friends, even perhaps hidden from John and Burke. But what was the trigger that night that led to this child's death? When analyzing the physical injuries, one of the experts consulted by police was Dr. Richard Krugman, he believed the motive behind the killing was in fact very clear from those
0: injuries. He stated, "The John Benet case is a textbook example of toileting abuse rage."
1: Dr. Krugman had studied dozens of cases of fatal child abuse and had seen vaginal injuries inflicted during a kind of corporal punishment during toilet training or wiping. In Dr. Krugman's view, John Benet's injuries were completely consistent with those injuries he had seen before. jean Bonnet, in fact, had a well-documented problem with bedwetting. She had regressed in her toilet training, as several nannies and housekeepers recalled.
2: The thing that strikes me as odd, it got progressively worse. It actually got worse.
1: The Ramseys claimed that bedwetting was never a big deal in their household.
2: Bedwetting is totally insignificant. All children have accidents
1: but a statement from housekeeper Linda Hoffman contradicts this. In a passage from her unpublished memoir about the Ramsey case, she writes as though speaking directly to Patsy, outlining what she thinks probably happened to Jean Bonnet on the night of her death.
2: You took Jean Benet into the bathroom. It was the same destination you always took Jean Benet when it was time to punish her for bedwetting. You forgot that I saw you take her there so many times before, shutting the door tightly behind you so her screams could not be heard.
1: I saw you, this is damning testimony. Hoffman claims that on previous occasions, she actually saw Patsy leading Jean Benet into the bathroom alone to punish her for bedwetting. There was another statement made by Jean Benet's grandmother, Nedra, that is
0: extremely alarming given the nature of those injuries. Nedra confirmed to police that at age six, Jean Benet was still in the habit of asking adults to wipe her when she was on the toilet.
1: I think for most people, the notion of a parent being in such close and frequent contact with a six year old's genital area is unusual, but Jean Benet Ramsey seemed to consider it quite normal. Again, it's another major red flag. The key feature of an enmeshed mother is a lack of boundaries. Is it possible that Patsy had been punishing Jean Benet without John's knowledge? It's easy to see why Detective Steve Thomas developed his theory. That Jean Bonnet had wet the bed on the night of her death, and that Patsy had assaulted her daughter in a snap moment of anger. Personally, I think there is some doubt about whether Jean Bonnet ever went to bed at all, but the notion that some kind of toileting accident could have been involved is quite plausible. In Jean Bonnet's medical records from before the crime, Patsy had noted a problem with, quote, wetting and soiling of underwear. A housekeeper had found feces in Jean Bonnet's sheets. There were numerous witness accounts of Jean Benet wetting or soiling herself at friends' homes or at school. Investigator Holly Smith from Boulder Child Services observed that most of the underwear in Jean Benet's bedroom were stained with feces. This indicates a very serious problem, I would say even worse than bedwetting. On December 26, in the ensuite bathroom adjoining Jean Benet's bedroom, a pair of gray pants belonging to jean benet were found lying prominently on the floor they were stained with feces could those gray pants have been involved in the incident that led to her death the unfortunate fact is that in child abuse virtually anything can be a trigger for violence it can happen at any time depending largely on the mood of the abuser Suzanne Savage recalled that John Binet was not always well behaved.
2: You could make Burke behave by telling him no, but sometimes John Bonet had to be given a timeout.
1: Another nanny claimed that John Bonet had trouble sleeping.
2: She didn't sleep well, and John, in particular, would get frustrated with her, trying to get her to bed.
1: Christmas night was a stressful time for the Ramseys, as they were intending to leave on their vacation early the next morning. They had a busy schedule. Patsy was just a few days away from her 40th birthday. We also know at the White's Christmas party on December 25th, Patsy Ramsey was drinking. The Ramseys say they had no more than a glass of wine, but they were never tested for drugs or alcohol. On top of all this, a stunning admission from Patsy herself. Earlier that day, just hours before Jean Benet's death, Patsy and Jean Benet had been fighting
2: We had a little tiff, because I was wearing a red sweater and I wanted her to wear this red sweater with her black velvet pants, because I was wearing black velvet pants, and she didn't want to wear the red shirt just because I was wearing it."
1: In psychological accounts of enmeshed mothers, stories of mothers dressing up their children in outfits identical to their own are quite common. There's a famous photo of Joan and Christina Crawford smiling happily in identical outfits. Considering that there was already tension in the house, between Patsy and Jean Benet, it's fair to say there are more than a few potential motives for that brief throttling and the blow to the head. Based on the vaginal trauma, it's likely that some kind of toileting issue was involved, or even sexual abuse. We also have to account for the final tightening of that cord around Jean Benet's neck. As we mentioned in episode 3, the killer may have believed Jean Benet was already dead, and added that ligature simply as part of the staging. Detective Steve Thomas has also pointed out that this could have partly been an act of mercy to end Jean Benet's suffering, and this is consistent with studies on child murder by mothers. It's also possible that there was at least an element of self-interest, by ensuring that Jean Benet was indeed dead, the killer was effectively protecting their own reputation, their own image, as a good person. Whatever motive or combination of motives was at play that night, it's evident that, according to this theory, this was not a premeditated or sadistic act. In fact, just as she did with her cancer, I think it's quite plausible that Patsy Ramsey could have found a way to justify this to herself. That rather than thinking of this as a deliberate act, she may have seen it as something outside of her control. When police asked Patsy in 1998 about the biggest change in her life after Jean Binet's death, this was her answer.
2: When I had cancer, I was afraid to die. Now, I am not afraid because Jean Binet had to go there. If I get cancer again and, you know, I can see her on that side. So I am just not afraid anymore.
1: That's a remarkable thing to say when your child has apparently been murdered by a stranger who is still on the loose. I think part of the reason this case has provoked so much debate is that there's something fundamentally difficult about imagining a mother who would harm her child. It's much easier simply to accept the Ramseys' claim that, since Patsy was a loving mother, she was fundamentally incapable of deliberately harming her daughter. But unfortunately, the evidence suggests the possibility of something much more complex. An enmeshed relationship, no doubt with many moments of genuine love and affection, but with other, hidden moments. Moments that no child should ever have to endure. This is absolutely crucial to understanding this case. Loving people can be abusive. Abusive people can be loving. And with Patsy Ramsey, the red flags are there. This podcast features music from COAG on YouTube vocal contributions from Eric Peabody and Meredith Nudo. Visit our site for full attributions and references.